A single sentence can change your life forever. A single sentence can change your life forever. One of my heroes is a guy named Charles Simeon who pastored the same church for over 50 years in Cambridge, England. And at the end of his life, he was preaching a sermon on Ecclesiastes and he he said this sentence. And this sentence has the, the ability, I believe, to change your life forever. He said this, quote, There are only two lessons for the Christian to learn. To enjoy God in everything and to enjoy everything in God. There are only two lessons for the Christian to learn. To enjoy God in everything and to enjoy everything in God. To enjoy God in everything means to enjoy God in good times and in tough times. In times of singing and even in times of sorrow. To enjoy everything in God means to enjoy every aspect of of who he is in all of his majesty. Every single quality of his divine nature and unchanging character. Now this is why, brothers and sisters, that the book of Psalms is so infinitely precious to Christians. Because perhaps more than any other book in the Bible, we are presented with crystal clear revelation of the unchanging character of our majestic God. So this morning, I invite you once again to open your Bible to the book of Psalms. If you're not used to using a Bible, you can probably find it pretty quickly. It's in the middle of the Bible. We're going to be looking at Psalm 93 this morning. Psalm 93. What we want to be challenged by this morning is simply this. In Psalm 93, we're reminded once again that you and I, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, we must understand our own lives and our world in light of who God is and not vice versa. You you must understand your life, your trials, your joys, everything your world through the lens of who God is and not vice versa. In other words, your pains, your struggles, your trials are not the lens through which you are to see God. Rather, the unchanging character of God, who He has revealed Himself to be with His own lips in His Word, is the lens through which you're to view and understand who God is in Himself. This morning in Psalm 93, we're reminded that the Lord our God is a majestic King. So let's listen now to God's Word. The Lord reigns. He's robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as His belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their 
roaring, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. You can summarize this whole psalm in just a few words. Psalm 93, the central truth of this psalm is the Lord is king. The Lord reigns as king. That's the truth that we want to view all of our lives, all of creation, all our sufferings, all of our trials. The Lord our God is king. One commentator said this about Psalm 93. If we firmly believe that the Lord reigns, we will have an invincible shield against every assault of temptation. And I believe that that is true. So that's my prayer this morning. My prayer is simple. My prayer is that you would believe Psalm 93. Let's look through the holy spectacles of Psalm 93 together. The, the outline is really simple. It's just two points. Number one, a majestic king. A majestic king, verse one. Number two, a magnificent kingdom. Verses one to four. Verses one to four. And then in verse five, we're just going to linger over some application together. So number one, a majestic king. Number two, a magnificent kingdom. Number one, a majestic king. Verse 1, nothing is more majestic than the Lord. That's the main point of verse 1. Nothing is more majestic than the Lord. In verse 1, the psalmist celebrates the Lord's regal majesty. It's the majesty of a king. Look at verse 1. The Lord reigns. He's robed in majesty. The Lord is robed and He has put on strength as His belt. The Lord reigns as a king. We saw earlier from Isaiah 52 that this is really good news. If you know the Lord, you know that it is great news that you aren't running the universe. That is a good, that's good news. It's good that the universe isn't just running along by itself. The Lord is reigning as, a, as the king of glory. And that's good news. And notice the Lord is clothed like a king. Did you notice that? He, he not only reigns on a throne, but he's robed in majesty and he wears strength as his belt. Now, perhaps this has happened to you before. Maybe you've ever gone and tried on some pants or you've tried on a shirt or shoes or something. And then you discover that whatever item of clothing it is, it just doesn't fit. It's just, it's the wrong size. It doesn't fit on you. Well, if, if heaven has a dressing room, when the Lord puts on strength and omnipotence and majesty, it always fits him perfectly. It's the perfect fit. Job 37 says, God is clothed with awesome majesty. Job 37, 22. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are his dwelling place. First Chronicles 16, 27. 
when David was praying, praying to God, when they were collecting all of these donations for the temple building project, you remember the prayer that he prayed? He said, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours. And yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you're exalted as head over all. God is a majestic king. But you are wrong. You're wrong if you think of God as some kind of like human king on steroids. That's, that's called paganism. God is not like Zeus on Mount Olympus. He's not just whatever we can imagine to be as a king and just a little bit greater. That is not God. There is no one like him. There's no one holy like the Lord. He is completely one of a kind. So when you imagine a king, you have to think of a king who is utterly unique. He's, there's no one like him. The Methodist evangelist John Wesley, when he was actually visiting the House of Commons, he got to see a human king, the most powerful person on the planet at that time, the King of England. This is what he said about the King of England in his journal after he saw him. He said, quote, I was in the robe chamber adjoining the House of Lords when the king put on his robes. His brow was furrowed with age and clouded with care. Is this all the world can give even, even to a king? Is this all the grandeur this world can afford? A blanket of ermine around his shoulders, a huge heap of borrowed hair, and a few plates of gold and glittering stones on his head. What a bauble is human greatness, and not even this will endure. Compare that vision of a king to this one. The sight that Isaiah saw in Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple and above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings and two he covered his face and two he covered his feet and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundation of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the whole house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah didn't go home and just write in his journal. What did Isaiah do when he saw the king? He said, woe is me, for I am undone. I'm ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Brothers and sisters, if we could see him in his majesty right now, we would be ruined because there's no one like him. So brothers and sisters, you remember in the Gospel of John, the Apostle tells us in John 12, 
Isaiah said these things because he saw Christ's glory and spoke of him. So, therefore, who is your majestic king? It is Jesus Christ. He is the omnipotent king of glory. Jesus Christ is robed in regal majesty this morning. Jesus Christ is seated on an eternal throne. And there is nothing more majestic than the Lord Jesus Christ. That's point number one. All of that in one verse. We're going to be here to one. Verses one to four. Let's look at the kingdom. If, you, if you're a king, you got to have a kingdom. Well, what is the Lord's kingdom? Well, that's what we're told in verses one to four. Nothing is more magnificent than the king's reign. Look at verses one to four. He tells us that the Lord's reign, his kingdom is over all things, all creation. It's an eternal kingdom. So look at verse one. It says, yes, the world is established and it shall never be moved. So the kingdom of our Lord encompasses the world, what, has, what he's created. It says that it has been established. Do you see that? Look at your Bibles. Don't look at me. In your Bibles, it probably says something like the world is or has been established. Now, I'm going to get technical with you. The reason it's rendered as is established, it's a, it's a divine passive verb. What, what does that mean? It means that the world has been established by God. It's not established in itself. God is the one who has acted in history to establish all of creation. But what has been established far beyond and before all creation existed? Look at verse 2. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. So I want you to just ponder this for a minute. God isn't just the king over what he has made. His kingdom extends over all of creation. But verse 2 is teaching us that he reigned as king before creation even existed. His throne is from everlasting. He's an eternal king. Remember how the book of Psalms began in book 4? Do you remember Psalm 90? How does Psalm 90 begin? You have been our dwelling place, O Lord, in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This is what I mean. You can't even... Try to ponder in your mind this morning what it means for God to have always existed. Eternity past, He reigned as King. From beginning to the end of the Scriptures, we're told that our God is the eternal King. But brothers and sisters, if we're honest, when we look around the world, when we see explosions in Beirut and a global pandemic, when we see political upheavals and natural disasters like earthquakes and, and tsunamis and hurricanes, when we see all that, 
it's hard for us sometimes to actually believe that God is ruling and reigning. Is He really ruling? But even when we think about our own personal lives, when we think about the ups and downs of our lives, when we think about the quiet upheavals in our family, those silent losses that nobody knows about, the, the unending disappointments one after the other, like waves on the sea, those are, those are like sulfuric acid that burn away our confidence in the sovereignty and the kingship of our God. We begin to doubt, is God really working all things together for our good? And Psalm 93 is real. Psalm 93 doesn't say, oh, it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. They're not scary. Those harsh realities aren't real. No. Look at, look at verse 3. The psalmist acknowledges the upheavals. Look at verse 3. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. They lift up their roaring. Do you see how he repeats those phrases? He's almost poetically trying to mimic the sound of a wave. Did you hear it? The floods have lifted up. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods have lifted up their roaring. It feels like a wave about to crash. So picture in your mind, the psalmist is on the beach and there are waves coming, tidal waves coming. I want you to think about those hundred foot waves in Navarre, Portugal, those massive waves. That's what's coming. And the psalmist is reporting live from the beach as this wave comes crashing. And the psalmist doesn't, doesn't diminish the fear. He, he, he wants us to see these waves are mighty and these waves are frightening. He doesn't say you shouldn't be afraid. He says you should replace your fear with an even greater fear. Verse 4. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. He wants you to fear the Lord above all. He wants you to see that the Lord our God, the King, is mightier than any of the waves, any of the thunder, any of the troubling sea. The Lord our God is mightier still. So this morning, ask yourself, sort of trace your fears this morning. What is, what's keeping you up at night? What's causing you to fear this morning? Psalm 93 addresses you and calls you to take your eyes off your fears and to fix your eyes on the Lord Almighty. He is the one alone that we ought to fear. Now you might be thinking, why does he talk about waves? And that, that seems random. Like we, we live in Northern Virginia. Like I don't really wake up in the morning afraid of waves. Uh, maybe when I go to the beach, I'm afraid of a wave, maybe if it's a tsunami or something, but what's the deal with waves? Why is he so nervous about the waves? Well, if you read your Bibles carefully, you know that in Scripture, the, the psalmist and other parts of the Bible refer to 
the nations of the earth as mighty waves that the Lord can calm and still. There's a bunch of passages. I'll give you one. Just so you know, I'm not making this up. Psalm 65. Psalm 65 says this, O God of our salvation, you are the one who by his strength established the mountains. That's the same verb he uses here. Being girded with might. And listen, he says, who stills the roaring of the seas, who stills the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the peoples. So there's nothing more chaotic than the ocean. And when you look out in the world and you see all of the nations who are raging against the Lord and against his anointed, the psalmist in Psalm 93 is saying, God is mightier than all nature and he's mightier than all the nations. He rules and reigns even over all the earth. So the application for us, we should ask, okay, so what? Everything you've said, I believe that. So what? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond to this? Look at verse 5 as we close with some application. Verse 5 teaches us that there's nothing more sure than the Lord's word. He concludes by praising the trustworthy precepts of the Lord. Verse 5, your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Three quick points of application. Number one, trust your king's word. Trust your king's word. Verse 5, your decrees are very trustworthy. God is the exalted, majestic king and his word is worthy of your trust this morning. Charles Spurgeon said, the word of God is a sure testimony. I would soon walk in the dark and hold hard to a promise of my God than trust in the light of the brightest day that ever dawned. Christian, do you trust God's word? Do you believe his word? In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. Do you trust his word? Number two, treasure your king's word. Treasure your king's word. Where do I get the word treasure from? If this king, this majestic king, has condescended to open his mouth and reveal himself to his creatures, we should treasure every single word that proceeds from his mouth. Treasure your king's word. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. More to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. You want to know what it means to treasure God's word? Take an hour and read Psalm 119 this afternoon. You got nothing else to do. Just read Psalm 119, right? What does Psalm 119 say? 
the psalmist says, your, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. I cling to your testimonies. Your testimonies are the joy of my heart. Your testimonies are wonderful. I love your testimonies exceedingly. That's the sound of someone who treasures God's Word. Number three, trust His Word, treasure His Word, and then number three, obey your King's Word. If your King tells you to do something, you trust Him, you treasure Him, but you must obey Him. Obey your King's Word. Verse 5 says, Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. God gives us a holy word to be obeyed. God did not inspire and preserve this book in order for you to disobey Him. He revealed this word in order for us to obey Him with all of our hearts. Psalm 119 verse 129 says this, there's a connection between how much you treasure Him and whether or not you will obey Him. The psalmist says, Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. Remember what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The, the, the floods came and the rain fell and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. God's word is meant to be obeyed. But brothers and sisters, this psalm also teaches us not just about God and his kingdom, it points us to the majesty and the magnificence of our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to trust Christ and to treasure Christ and to obey Christ. And this is what struck me this week. As you meditate on this psalm, what's amazing is if you put this psalm in light of the rest of the Bible, what you begin to see, brothers and sisters, is something startlingly amazing. You cannot behold the majesty of your king until you behold his misery. What does that mean? I want you to consider the majesty of our king revealed in the, the misery of our Lord Jesus Christ who came to die for rebels. Consider the majesty of our king in his misery as he, the king of the Jews, was crucified on a Roman cross and proclaimed his love for the whole world. Consider our king's majesty in his misery as the penitent thief looked on and said, Remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. And our Lord responded, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Consider the majesty of our king in his misery as he lay on the cross dying, hung there, wearing a crown of thorns on his head. His sacred head now wounded. Have you ever pondered that? Why a crown of thorns 
on the king of glory's head. This isn't the first time thorns show up in the biblical story, is it? When did they first show up? In Genesis 3, Adam, who was a priest king, who was supposed to subdue all creation and rule as God's vice regent over all the earth, he rebelled against our maker. He did not trust and obey and treasure the Lord. And he sinned. And the curse of God entered the world because of Adam's sin. And the ground itself was cursed. And what appeared? Thorns. Adam as a priest king failed. And here on the cross, the last Adam was faithful where the first Adam failed. And at the pinnacle of his obedience, what's on his head? A crown of thorns because he was bearing the curse of God for all of Adam's children who would turn from their sins and trust in Christ. Jesus, our King, rose again from the dead. He ascended to the highest place and sat down and he offers life and forgiveness and salvation to the world, to anyone who would turn from their sins, lay down their arms of rebellion and receive Jesus Christ alone through the empty hands of faith. So, friend, turn and trust and treasure Jesus Christ alone this morning. Christian, lift up your head and look to your majestic King and believe the good news that your God, your Savior, your King reigns. I close with this. Robert Murray McChain wrote to a friend in his church in the 1800s who was grieving. And he said these words, You will never find Jesus so precious as when the world is one vast howling wilderness. Then Jesus is like a rose blooming in the midst of the desolation. He is like a rock rising above the storm. The day's coming, brothers and sisters, when the storms and the waves and the raging is going to cease. And Jesus Christ is going to return in glory. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with Him in glory. Is this majestic King your King? Well, if, the, if He is, there's only two lessons for you to learn. To enjoy Christ in everything and to enjoy everything in Christ. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank You. We thank You for the salvation You have secured for Your people. We pray this morning we would trust and treasure and obey your word but most of all help us today to look to christ our majestic king and savior we ask this in jesus our great savior say amen